Good morning. Who wants to hear the Word of God? Amen. Amen. I was thinking this morning that this here is like a wedding rehearsal. We, every Sunday, are gathering together, singing praises to our Lord, preparing ourselves to walk down the aisle at the end of days with our bridegroom. Heaven is a wedding. The gospel is a union between Christ and His bride. I had a guy one time, he goes, I hate these young people now. This was years ago in Kentucky, of course. And uh, he goes, I hate these young people talking about how they're in love with Jesus. I said, why is that? And he goes, well, it's just too feminine. You love your wife. You don't love Jesus. You're not in love with Jesus. It makes it too much like, a, like, like romantic love. And I said, okay, I, I get that. But isn't our romantic love designed to magnify the wedding that is the gospel? I think we should approach every Sunday morning like sinners clothed in the righteousness of Christ, preparing ourselves for the eternal wedding that will take place at the consummation of all things. C.S. Lewis once said, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. I'm going to repeat that. I want everybody to hear it. My boy's got it up. All right. C.S. Lewis said, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. It is very difficult in fact, it is really, really, really difficult to love thy neighbor with, as yourself and to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and yet that is precisely what the law demands of you. That's a problem. That's why without the grace of Jesus, you're condemned to hell. But here's the good news. That's why we need the work of Jesus on the cross in the work of the Spirit in our hearts, because nothing less will save you. We need to remember that this morning as we read this passage, because we're going to read about Judas's betrayal. But just verses later, John is going to foreshadow Peter's denial. And he does that for a reason. He does that, John does that for, for several reasons, but one, of course, is as people who know the Word or people who read the Gospel, people who have studied the Scriptures, when we hear Judas and when we hear Peter, we don't get the same feeling, do we? But yet, both in this passage this morning deny Jesus. You have, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very easy to read this passage as we're going to read this morning and go, man, that Judas guy was really evil. I'm glad I'm not him. Well, he was evil. But then again, Peter, the leader of the disciples, a part of Jesus' inner circle, John, Jesus, is getting ready to foreshadow that even, Jesus, even Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. And what John is saying is, remember... All have fallen short of the glory of God. And that all are in need of God's grace. I want you all to listen to me before we start. I want you to hear this. 
Apart from God's love, we have all denied God, and we are all Judas's at heart. But by the sovereign grace of God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we too, like Peter, can be brought back into relationship with Jesus Christ. So without any further ado, if you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 21 through 38. John chapter 13, verses 21 through 38. And after you've found it, please stand for the reading of God's Word. You know, some people think this is really old school, standing up for the Bible. And I like that, because almost nothing we do is old school, so we ought to add a little old school to our new school, and we do it out of reverence for God's Word. And the Holy Spirit, through John, says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom He spoke. One of His disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that we should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Verse 31. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35, don't miss it. By this, all people will know you, will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Father, by your sovereign decree, we are saved by grace. But Father, it is by love that we are distinguished as the disciples of Jesus. Father, teach us this morning through your word, by your spirit. Enlighten our hearts and our minds to see the heart of discipleship. To see what it is that distinguishes God's holy people from the world. Father, show us the character and the heart of Jesus. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. This morning I'd like to break down my message into this theme. If you're new here at Haynes Creek, 
Any time that the passage allows, I like to just start out by summarizing the passage, if I can, and I believe I can this morning. And it goes like this. Jesus calls us to be His disciples purely by His grace, and we are distinguished as His disciples by love. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus calls us to be His disciples purely by His grace, and we are distinguished as His disciples by love. I don't know if any of y'all knew this, but in high school, I was, uh, it was kind of a big deal. I'm just going to say it. Um, I was senior class president. I know. I was Mr. Apollo High School, class 2004. I was the honor graduate. Really, I don't really actually still really know what that means, but I was the honor graduate. I was captain of the cross-country team. I was varsity basketball. I was the track team. More importantly, I went to church every time the doors were open. I was a member of FCA. The fire chief in my hometown, who was a deacon at another church, a local Baptist church, he always asked me every time he see me if I want to date his daughter. It's always weird. Um, but I use that example because I was a good kid. I walked well with outsiders. I had a good reputation in my little town. But I also thought very highly of myself, as you might imagine. And because I thought very highly of myself, I had little grace and little patience for people who weren't like me. I didn't hang out with weird kids. I just didn't. Gothic kids, we had a lot of those. We dressed gothically, if that's a word. I didn't like kids who smoke or drink. Mom said not to smoke or drink, so I didn't smoke or drink, and I thought the kids who did smoke or drink were bad kids, so I didn't hang out with them. thought I was better than them. I thought I was better than those who didn't go to church and make good grades and obey their parents. I did all those things, so I was better than them. And then I went to college, started drinking, stopped going to church. I went to the University of Kentucky on a full-ride scholarship, and then one year later I had to come home and tell my dad didn't have a scholarship anymore. And suddenly, I was no longer the upstanding young man who people wanted to date their daughter. I was just like everyone else. I wasn't just following the crowd. I was the crowd. In a matter of months, I had gone from the Pharisee to the tax collector. You know, those people who were lost and got drunk on weekends, I didn't look at them the same as I once did. Those people who got bad grades because they had bad priorities, I saw them in a new light. I looked at sinners differently because I was one of them now. And that is precisely how we're supposed to read John chapter 13. If Peter thought at one moment that he was better than Judas... If he thought at one moment he was a little holier than Judas, if Peter ever seen at one moment at any time thought he needed one ounce of less grace than Judas did, Jesus says, just you wait. 
You'll know just how sinful you are. Judas's sin is especially evil. He didn't just betray Jesus, he did it for money. But when it comes to unbelief and the evil that resides in the human heart and the unwillingness to follow Jesus, Judas and Peter are the same. Last week, Peter asked Jesus if he could be washed. Pretty soon, he's going to be begging to be washed. We begin this passage with Judas betraying Jesus, and we're shocked, as we should. But by the end of the passage, Jesus is telling Peter that he, too, will betray Jesus. And so my question this morning is, what's the difference between Judas and Peter? And when I ask that question, I'm also asking it of you. What's the difference between Judas and you and me? And I think I have an answer. The answer is God's grace. But for the grace of God, Peter does not come back to the fold. But for the grace of God, Peter does not overcome his cowardice and his unwillingness to follow Jesus. Peter does not overcome his worldliness. But for the grace of God, Peter is not the rock upon which Jesus builds his church. When it comes down to it, the head of the disciples, the head of the Jerusalem church, is no better than Judas without the grace of God. When I came home to tell my dad, that I had lost my scholarship and I'd been fooling around and I'd been spending way too much time with my girlfriend instead of studying, I was afraid of my dad. But I also realized something for the very first time in my life. I wasn't better than anybody. And before Peter can lead the church of Jesus Christ, he has to understand that. Last week, Peter understood in his mind that Jesus had to wash him. But before long, Peter will know it in his soul. When I left Apollo High School in 2004, I was honor graduate and class president, but when I returned in 2008, I was a substitute teacher looking for a job. <laughs> and it was really humiliating. But you better believe I knew about God's grace. And oh, the marvelous things that God can do with a sinner when he knocks them off their high hill. Now I want to be clear. What is happening with Judas and what is happening with Peter are different. For example, Satan enters into Judas. He does not do so with Peter. Second, Peter is not denying Jesus for money. He's just doing it because he's a coward. We'll see that in John chapter 18. But at their very core, Judas and Peter have the very same problem, and it's called unbelief. Now the difference is that Jesus has appointed Peter for a special purpose. It's not because Peter was any better than Judas. Jesus chose Peter. What do we see last week in verse 18? I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. 
There might be some of y'all this morning going, okay, I'll be, I get that, but I just don't think you can treat the two the same. Judas was prompted by the devil. Peter wasn't. Well, a couple things. Satan might have been possessing Peter, but he is oppressing he may not be a, a possessing Peter, but he may be a oppressing Peter. He sure wants Peter really bad. Because he wants, we know that he wants Peter so bad, he goes to Jesus and asks him to have Peter. And Jesus says, sure. Do you remember that? Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. Do you have it? There it is. Let's read this together. Remarkable verses. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you and he might, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Imagine being told that while you're sitting around the fire with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you remember that? Yeah, I know. Oh, by the way, I was talking to Satan. Uh, he wanted to have you. And he'll have you, but you'll be okay. Oh, that's good. Isn't that amazing that Jesus permits Satan to afflict Peter to sift him like wheat, but Jesus is going to use it for Peter's good to strengthen Peter to lead the church. You talk about Jesus absolutely confounding Satan. Sure, you can have him, but I'm actually going to use that to destroy you. Jesus uses the work of Satan to destroy Satan. Jesus uses human suffering for our good. How incredible is the living God? Friends, we can be sick, we can be near death, we can be out of a job, we can be out of our minds. We can have no joy, no ambition, no motivation, no excitement in our life. And God can actually use it to strengthen your faith and to draw you nearer to Him. And it would be for your good. The second thing we know about the difference is we know that Judas is actually responsible for his actions. You can't say, well, Judas, poor Judas, he got entered by the Satan guy and did things he didn't want to do. Well, look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 24. Man, you are Johnny on the spot. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been Whoa. Do you guys remember that word we learned a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago? Robbie, do you remember that big word? Come on now. I knew you'd forget it. I can't. Compatibilism. Those good theological words that people never remember. Here it is again. God has decreed that Judas would betray him for His purposes and for His glory, and yet Judas is freely making this decision to betray Jesus and is held accountable for his decision. Judas betrays Jesus and kills himself. Peter denies Jesus and repents. One has worldly grief. One has godly grief. And so we have these two figures. One we know will come back to the fold and is a true disciple. The other is a fake What's the difference? Well, it's almost as if John is knowing that that question is being begged because look at the four or five verses he puts in between Judas and Peter. It's almost as if verses 31 through 35 are answering the question, what's the difference between a true disciple and a false disciple? Let's read. Verse 31 through 35. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And don't miss it, verse 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus calls his disciples purely by his grace, and we are distinguished as his disciples by love. Before anything else, God's people are set apart by love. That's how God wants the world to distinguish us. Jonathan Edwards once said this, Love is in God as light is in the sun, which does not shine by a reflected light as the moon and the planets do, but by his own light and as the fountain of life. So love is God's DNA in his children. Love is the heartbeat of God that beats in his children. Love is the distinguishing trait of God's offspring. Love is how people know that we're born of God. More so than good theology, more so than good behavior, more so than good company. Love is the closest thing we can experience to God's character and His heart in this world. How dare we have good theology without love? Love is theology. God is love. How could we claim Jesus as our Lord? How could we believe in the gospel that saves? How could we believe that a God is love and not love people? How could we claim a Lord who shed His blood for us? A Father who forsook everything for us and not love? Before there was a universe, there was a God. And that God loved himself. Jonathan Edwards said that one of the greatest evidences we have in the New Testament that God is three persons and one essence is 1 John, which tells us that God is love. For God to be love implies a plurality in the Godhead. The Father loved His Son. The Son loved the Father. The most precious gift that God can give His church is a love for Himself. Putting God's love in your heart through the Holy Spirit is the entire point of the new covenant. It is the entire purpose of the gospel. If our lives are not defined by love, it is safe to say we are missing God's most basic desire for our lives. I think we deduce the gospel. We're, in a lot of ways, Americans are, you know... We're luxurious and we're extravagant. And in other ways, we're minimalists. You know, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what's required of me. You can't do that with the gospel. You cannot treat the gospel like, hey, what do I need to do to be saved and nothing else? If that is the way you're approaching salvation, you may not be saved. At no point in time does Jesus deliver the gospel as if it is a math equation. Hey, tell me what I need to do so God can give me that. That's a slot machine. 
That's something you can punt in a calculator. God says, no, 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 no. The people I save, they're, they're changed. The gospel I give isn't just to save. It's to save for something. In the gospel, Jesus is shedding His blood and He is not only saving you from something, He is saving you for something. People who are saved are transformed and you cannot be saved without being changed. It's never happened. How many people in here are not from Covington? I live in Oxford, and that's not what I mean. Raise your hand if you're not from Covington or Oxford. How many people, raise your hand if you're not from Georgia? I knew Robert. Margaret, you from Georgia? Oh, How many people have ever moved to a new town? Just raise your hand. Okay, we got some. All right. New JB's from Augusta. They're somewhere. If you raised your hand, I want you to think really quickly to yourself. What criteria did you use to select who your friends would be? Just think. What criteria did you use upon moving to a new city, a new town, a new church? What criteria did you use to select a new church? How did you make the decision based on who you wanted to hang out with? Nine times out of ten, you chose to surround yourself with people who were kind, who were welcoming, and who were hospitable. In other words, you were attracted to people who had love in their hearts. And I want to put forward to you this morning, that's the way it works. People are attracted to love. And that's the way God wants it. Verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think this is precisely, don't, don't, don't miss this, I think this is precisely why Satan has tried so hard to distort love in our world. He hates it. Satan hates love. We talk all the time about, well, you know, the forces of evil are going to get, hold on now, we don't, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our warfare and our weapons aren't like the world. Love is an assault on Satan. Think about how he tries to destroy it. Conditional love. Promiscuous love. Lust instead of love. Homosexual love. Quid pro quo love. Material love. Love of self. Love of the world. Puppy love. Think about all the counterfeits that Satan is engineering to try to confuse us about the character and the will and the heart of our Lord. Satan can do more against the church by distorting the way people think of love than he can about electing a bad president. I promise you that. If you think you hear love, that that is some mushy, gushy, feminine, soft, passive word, that you've been duped. 
Because the Bible says that our God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, that He is love. I think that's why Satan is so, no pun intended, hell-bent on feeding us cheap counterfeits so that we don't ever see the value of the real thing. So that men don't know how to love their wives. So that Democrats and Republicans don't know how to love one another. So that I don't know how to love my children. So that I don't have to love someone who doesn't look like me. So that I don't have to love someone who doesn't earn as much as I do. If, if Satan can engineer a community separated, hating one another, without love, he has a community that does not know the will and the character and the heart of Jesus. And he has done a fantastic job. Satan knows that if God's children can identify with something else other than love, he has blinded them to the essence of the gospel. Which is why we get here together every single Sunday and we preach about a God who became a man and crucified because he loved you. We can't stop going to that message. We can't stop preaching that gospel. We can never be silent. Like Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel because our world will forget what love is if they don't see a crucified Christ. That means Abby's children, my children, your children, the world's going to know they're Jesus' disciples not by if they go and walk into a church every Sunday. They're going to know my kids are disciples if they, my kids know how to love people. People are going to know that I'm a disciple if I know how to love my wife well. People are going to know we're His disciples if Haynes Creek loves and saturates this community with gospel love. That's how they'll know. And I would dare say that is the difference between Peter and Judas. If you don't know what love is, you don't know the living God. I think we spend so much time defending truth in this world, as we should. We spend up so much of our time standing up for what is right. Sticking up for moral integrity. Defending God's word. That sometimes we forget that those are all good things. But if we spend our whole lives defending good ideas with bad attitudes, we're no better than our enemies. Which is why, believe it or not, Jesus says to love our enemies. In this world, there are plenty of religions telling you to love your neighbor. Hinduism, Buddhism, even Islam says to love. But only Christianity says that God is love. And only the God of the Bible, before telling you to love, tells you that He loves you. Christianity does not begin with a command to love. Christianity begins with a story about a God who loves. And we call that the gospel. Why do we love? Because He first loved us. I'm going to read it one more time. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. All of us, make no mistake, please don't miss this, all of us have denied Jesus. 
And Jesus says the difference between Judas and a real Christian is love. Is that you? Or do you just run around in the right circles? Because Judas was running around in a good circle. Judas had good theology, decent theology. Judas saw the works of Jesus firsthand, but he loved himself secretly more than he loved Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to be his disciples purely by his grace, but we are distinguished by love. At Haynes Creek, we talk an awful lot about discipleship, as we should, but make no mistake, to be a disciple is to be a loving person, a lover of God first, and a lover of neighbor second. And that begins by casting our souls upon Jesus like people who have just denied God. Is that you? When you believed in Jesus, when you put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, did you approach the throne of grace as someone who had once turned back but turned away the same? If you've never confessed your hypocrisy before the Lord, you've never come and approached the throne of grace as someone like Peter. You better believe when Peter came back, he knew what grace was. Are you believing in the gospel like someone who's always been a good person? Or are you believing in the gospel like someone who's a horrible person? That's where we have to start. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel is purely by faith alone, by His grace alone. I invite you this morning to do that. Let's pray. Father, We know that love comes only by the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts. We are like broken cisterns. And we are empty. And Father, you are so full, you are overflowing. Father, we wish to be full of your love, and we wish to be full of your Spirit, and we know that that comes only by believing and the grace that comes with a crucified Christ. Father, please, this morning, show us the depravity in our own hearts. Show us the bitterness of sin so that grace may be sweet. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen.